Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 247. If at that point in your day-old skivvies, you look at yourself in the mirror and you can't be reasonably happy with what's looking back at you, you've got to make a change. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah! Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, John Lundberg. John, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am strapped in, ready to light the motor and get it on. (laughs) All right. Great to have you here. John Thunderlungs Lundberg is the owner of Southwest Valuations in Oro Valley, Arizona. His firm appraises unique, exotic, historic, and racing motor vehicles. He's an accredited senior appraiser with the American Society of Appraisers. John's been the voice of drag racing, announcing national and regional events starting all the way back in 1955. He's known as the voice of drag racing, a title according him in 1963. And he's been on television in multiple markets throughout his long career. He was elected to three terms on the SEMA board of directors and has consulted on many business development projects. John is an inductee in numerous motorsports and drag racing organizations. John, I've told our listeners just a little bit about your amazing history. Would you take a moment and share a little more about your career, your interests, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Certainly. I was on my way home from sixth grade in May of 1949. (laughs) Wow. When a guy I came to meet as Don Hunt drove by me in a chopped and channeled, completely finished 1932 Ford three-window coupe street rod. I could describe it to you to the last nut and bolt today, and I haven't been the same since. (laughs) Wonderful. A, A little bit more than a year later, my buddy John Hicks and I rode our motor scooter and and motorbike to Lansing, Michigan's capital city airport. And in August of 1950, watched a drag race take place on the airport that pitted principally the Lansing Pandraggers against the Genesee Gear Grinders. Wow. And I haven't been the same since. (laughs) Four years later, I went with a TV crew to the first NHRA safety safari event 
held in the state of Michigan at a Detroit suburb of Livonia held on a half mile concrete entrance road to a new GM production plant. And there at that safety safari drag race, I smelled nitromethane for the first time. (laughs) That stays with you. Hallelujah. I have not been the same since. Okay. (laughs) So I've been a car guy since uh, as far back as I can remember. And the uh, most fortunate part about my career is I've been able to leverage that into a variety of activities that have just been marvelously fulfilling. Well, I looked through your bio and it's incredible. We could do multiple shows talking about every piece, but maybe you could walk us through somewhat quickly before we get into the questions here, some of those many facets of your amazing career. Okay, so I announced my first drag race in 1955 as yet an unpaved drag strip in the middle part of uh, my home state of Michigan called Central Michigan Dragway, now known as the Mid-Michigan Motorplex. In 1962, I was wooed away from there by Gil Cohn, who was the uh, track operator at Detroit Dragway in Detroit, Michigan. And for 10 years from 1962 until 1970, Sue, served as the track announcer at Detroit Dragway through the entire bubble top, super stock, AFX and funny car development era. And I watched that happen right before my eyes. In 1963, I thought it might be a good idea if I started to announce regional and national events. And so I contacted the National Hot Rod Association. They were interested. So there were options. And I contacted the president of the American Hot Rod Association and secured a position to announce the 1963 AHRA Winter Nationals out here in Phoenix. Got a ride along with two guys who built and AA modified fuel roadster, specifically to defeat three current top-running roadsters at the time, the Speed Sport Roadster, the Tennessee Speed Shop Roadster, and the Kegel Newhouse Roadster. In any event, I got a ride-along with them to not only go to the AHRA Winter Nationals in Phoenix, but uh, seven days later, the United States Fuel and Gas Championships at Bakersfield, California, which remains today one of the significant iconic events in the sport of drag racing. Anyway, so I got my ride along. I go with them to Phoenix. That race completes itself. I go to Bakersfield and I'm at a place after about eight years of doing this where I've got some choices to make Mm -hmm. because I was in that era where you're spending more time and money than you should accumulating the knowledge that's necessary to do what you love. Okay. (laughs) Well, what happened was this. Bakersfield is a mile square of asphalt, and I had been reading drag news, the trade paper of the sport, and knew all the names and was there listening to a guy who became my hero at that point, a fellow by the name of Bernie Mather. Well, on Saturday at the March meet, the smokers who at that point held the event used to have a party at a local restaurant, wherein the owners of the restaurant brewed their own wine in the basement. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, Bernie and his co-announcer, shall we say, overindulged that evening. <laughs> and, and, on, and on Sunday morning, were definitely not in good shape. Anyway, they, so they came to the race, and about mid-morning, were not doing well at all, and you could tell it. And I was standing at the tower, at the base of the tower, just listening to Bernie announce, okay? 
And he leaned out of the tower and said, Lundberg, we need your help. <laughs> yes. And so I walked into the timing tower and he handed me the microphone and those two guys left. Now, I want you to understand, for a guy like me in that place who was just a visitor, Mm-hmm. It's like somebody walking on the stage as the last man standing on American Idol. Okay. <laughs> wow. Because I had all of the coolest cars in drag racing on the planet there. Wow. I had 15 to 20,000 legitimate count people standing there to watch the race, and I was the announcer. Oh, my gosh. And I soared. <laughs> well, it was a li- it was a life changing event. Okay, yep. and and then I knew what I was supposed to do. So I went on to do the rest of the AHRA series. Uh, I had an opportunity to announce NASCAR drag racing in the East when they were in drag racing. I had a chance to announce some early and relatively late International Hot Rod Association events, and I concentrated on trying to build a series of appearances rather than just spot appearances. So. Like in 1972, I announced events on 42 weekends. Wow. Okay. So I became very busy at that. And I had a chance to do other neat stuff too. Like in, uh, as a result of my being at Detroit Dragway, I was able to be hired to announce the finals of the 1965 Plymouth Troubleshooting Contest at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Cool. And no announcer in the world has ever felt more powerful than when you pick up a microphone and you speak over the Indianapolis Motor Speedway public address system. Oh, I mean, it, the ground shakes. Okay. Yes, yes. All right. So anyway, you know, I went on to do other things. And along the way, I did such things as I uh, have my voice recorded on drag race event recordings to participate with the Hearst Performance Research Company in Hearst Performance Records. And we recorded drag racing events, and some other types of motorsports events, including the 1965 Grand Prix of the United States at Watkins Glen for race recordings. I was uh, among the first uh, people to ever uh, broadcast a drag race on television. Wow. Uh, uh, In 1965, I probably had, at that point, (laughs) I probably had the ultimate multimedia experience. I was announcing events at Motor City Dragway that summer, which was on the north side of the De- uh, of Detroit. And at one point, we were doing a uh, pioneer television program on a local public uh, TV channel. Mm-hmm. And then I was asked to not only announce to the crowd, but also do live announcing for a local radio station of the racing that was going on. So here was John Lundberg in the tower, at Motor City Dragway in Detroit, or in, in on the north side of Detroit, Michigan, with holding three different microphones, okay? <laughs> one for the radio station, one for the racetrack, and one for television. Wow. Now, wow. that was my early <laughs> multimedia experience. Yeah, fantastic. Well, anyway, we, we also had an opportunity to be on, on ESPN in 1988, with the International Hot Rod Association series. And so, and I've had the opportunity to write the odd column and magazine articles. So it's been a pretty involved situation. In 1973, moved to the West Coast, got involved in the high performance and specialty aftermarket, and was on the West Coast involved with that activity on a very personal 
uh, basis. I was a part owner of the Cyclone Header Company for a while. So I had a very active involvement in the SEMA show, had an opportunity to uh, be master of ceremonies at the SEMA banquet for three or four years and began to share that with Dave McClelland, who has gone on to a marvelous career at that. And so uh, from that point on, I've kind of been associated with the industry side of things. And, you know, I've tried to retire uh, <laughs> three different times, Mark. And I must admit to being a, uh, a miserable failure at it. Uh, <laughs> Good for because, you. <laughs> <laughs> because after moving to Tucson in 1998, Don McReynolds, a guy whose race cars I'd talked about in the Midwest two decades earlier, met. And he, at that time, uh, was the owner of Southwest Valuations. And he kind of decided it was time for him to slow down a bit. So we did a sweat equity buyout with each other. And over a five-year period, he was my coach, educator, and mentor through the process of becoming accredited with the American Society of Appraisers as an accredited senior appraiser. And when I got my uh, accreditation, one month later, I made the final payment, and since 2010, have been the sole owner of Southwest Valuations. Ah, fantastic. You know, it's wonderful because you've wrapped all these different careers throughout your long and fruitful life around your passion for cars. And I love that, and that's why I have you here on Cars Yeah. As we continue in your journey, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote. And it's a great way to get those inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, John, take the wheel. It can be as simple as do what you love. Um, there's a very special time every day when a person arises. They are a day older. They aren't as clean as they were the following morning, and they may smell a little bit more different, okay? <laughs> if at that point in your day-old skivvies, you look at yourself in the mirror and you can't be reasonably happy with what's looking back at you, you've got to make a change. Wonderful. <laughs> people, people, who, people who have that vision and don't do something about it are just taking up space. And I will tell you, because I paid the dues to learn it, the reality is that if you do what you love, the rest will follow along. I love that. Wonderful, wonderful quote. That's awesome. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? You've been a car guy your whole life. But is there a moment in time, I know you talked about that deuce coupe you saw. Would that be the moment in time? When you really knew you were a car guy? My father was a pioneer aviator. And had a four-digit pilot's license assigned by one of the Wright brothers. Okay, Wow. And he, was a, and he was a barnstormer. So his advice to me, his attempt was to get me involved with aircraft. And although I flew with him a lot and uh, very much enjoyed the experience, it just kind of wasn't my thing. And at 12 years old, this beautiful blue chopped and channeled 32 Ford Coupe drove by me on the street and it just knocked my socks off. And that was the seminal point for me. Now, as concerns my career in drag racing and the aftermarket, it was that Sunday in March of 1963 when I got to announce all day long the finals at the U.S. Fuel and Gas Championships at Bakersfield. Those were the two most seminal moments. Awesome. Wonderful. What I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down, and you've certainly driven down many roads and crawl into the hood and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced along the way in your career. But the most important part of this has to do with how you overcame that situation, and even more important, what did you learn from it? Oh, boy. <laughs> I suppose the greatest challenge for me to overcome was two things, was to understand that I was not 
a multiple, highly diverse manager of people. Mm. Mm-hmm. I was a doer of deeds. Mm. And the second was to understand how to deal with being fired. That happened to me a number of times. And dealing with that and recovering from it and having success in spite of it, I think for any person who is highly motivated is a real, is a real challenge. Doing what I do, you have incredible highs. Uh, you also have some pretty deep valleys, okay? And that was a difficult thing to overcome. And the way that I simply dealt with it was to say, as I think Nietzsche is regarded to have said, that which does not kill me makes me stronger. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, being fired, having to leave a position that perhaps you liked is, is certainly fraught with challenges. But can you maybe share with our listeners one key element of how to move forward from that? I can't postulate for anyone else. All I can do is, all I can do is speak for myself. It all gets down to self-worth. If you have done well enough, and if you can cite and count your blessings, as opposed to wallowing in your current situation, and emerge from that understanding that you are a person of value who has something to contribute, I think that has a tendency to, to lift one to a place where you can start to look down the road. Uh, it has always been my experience that for every door that closes, another one opens. Mm-hmm. And relatively late in life, I had a profound religious experience that confirmed that. So that's what's kind of seen me through uh, those difficult times and years. Well, thank you for sharing those personal thoughts with us. I think it's really important for entrepreneurs and for people to hear those things from people who've been successful because, yes, there's certainly high highs and sometimes there's some low lows we have to work through. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those aha moments when... The headlights came on, illuminated your way for a new idea, a new direction. And tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. I guess I could call on three. The first one, I think, was Sunday at Bakersfield, when the reality of what would become my life's passion became real to me. I saw it work. I saw it under and saw the future. Uh, the second one probably was at Cyclone in uh, in 1978, when Uh, We'd heard that there was a young man uh, working in San Diego, California, who was able to tweak without excessive tuning extra torque and horsepower out of a four-cylinder Volkswagen engine Wow! uh, with a unique header design. And it took me probably a week to find the guy's name out. It took me another two or three weeks to find out what his location was. And uh, I went to the guys at Cyclone and said, I'm going to go see and talk to this guy because he might have the answer. Yeah. And so I went down to San Diego and went to a shop that specialized in modifying Volkswagens and building sand rails at that time. (laughs) Okay. And working out in the back, almost (laughs) in the backyard, if you would, was this this guy making these what were called anti-reversionary headers. And I asked him about the principle. He lucidly explained it to me. He showed me how it worked and gave me a picture of some Dyna results with a stock 1500cc Volkswagen flat four-cylinder engine. And I said, this is good. We can use this. And so I brought him up to Los Angeles to Cyclone 
And we made an agreement with him, and Cyclone then developed the anti-reversionary header. And for a period of time, until very, very tight combination of computer and fuel injection management pretty well mitigated the necessity for it, the anti-reversionary header completely changed the way uh, Cyclone went to market, and it was a remarkable experience and certainly, uh, uh, certainly one of the headlines of my career. I think then... Uh, the third one would be uh, becoming involved as an appraiser of unique and exotic and race motor vehicles. This has been a most profound experience. I kind of thought that, well, it would be, you know, a thing a guy could kind of relax into and do them once in a while, and it would still get me to see neat cars. I am honestly busier at 77 than I was at 47. Okay, <laughs> Wonderful. I love it. It is a remarkably and completely unique experience. I have the ultimate car guy job. Yes. Now, all right. And I've had it twice, right? <laughs> From 1955 until, until 2011. Absolutely. I got to see the greatest drag races ever held and talk about them. And everybody there had to listen. Okay. <laughs> all right. Now, now secondarily, in my dotage, okay, mm -hmm. I have an opportunity to continue to, to see interesting, amazing, challenging vehicles. And for the owners and for insurance companies and for estates and for a whole variety of reasons, responsibly place correct values on them, okay? Mm -hmm. You've had uh, my colleague Donald Osborne on your Yes, program, yes, absolutely. Right? Donald and I are members of the Automotive Specialties Group, a subdivision of the American Society of Appraisers. And Donald does the same thing. And I guarantee you, you haven't talked to a guy who spends more time with a smile on his face than Donald Osborne. <laughs> he, I mean, he does. This is, right? Yes. This is the coolest car guy job ever. Awesome. Wonderful stories. Appreciate that. I assume you've had many proud moments in your career, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? Well, I think that recognition by one's peers is probably the proudest moment a person can have, okay, and in, in terms of one's professional career. And I would tell you that my uh, 2008 induction into the International Drag Racing Hall of Fame was probably a crowning moment. I'm in, I guess, three or four of those now, but I think that level of honor uh, is something that I will carry with me the rest of my life. And the other significant event was in uh, on March 25th of 1985 when I married Sandra Baker Lacey and she became my wife and we have just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. <laughs> well, congratulations. Fantastic. Hey, let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special vehicle? And if you could share a memory you had with that car. Oh, sure. My first hot rod was bought from a guy who had was in the process of building it. And it was a 1929 Model A Ford pickup that had had early Ford V8 installed in it. And it was very fundamental. It was fenderless. There was the pickup body and the pickup bed and four wheels and mechanical brakes and a 21 stud Ford flathead <laughs> and no windshield. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the right side fuel pump leaked at about 2,500 RPM. <laughs> so I put it in second gear and stand on it and at about 50 miles an hour, get a face full. Okay. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so that was, my, that was my first exotic car. I guess the 
funnest vehicle I've ever owned is the one I have now, which is a 2006 uh, 5.7 liter Dodge Charger Hemi. <laughs> there you go. I mean, that's an amazing vehicle. Uh, it will go faster than I am capable of driving it. It will get 23 to 24 miles to the gallon at 75 miles an hour with the air conditioning on and uh, drives me around just beautifully. <laughs> Sounds like it. Is there a vehicle that you've owned in your past that you let go that you really wish you had back in the garage? Uh, yes, there is. In the mid-1950s, I was able to put together uh, a 1934 Ford Victoria with a 307-inch flathead in it. And that was probably the funnest vehicle I've ever owned. And I guess one other, uh, in 1972, I had an opportunity to order a very special Plymouth Satellite two-door hardtop uh, mm -hmm. with the color-coded Endura bumper on it, uh, 383, the sport interior. And because I was traveling for a family company at the time, in a year I probably put 30,000 miles on it. And uh, due to their increasing value, I, I'd like to have that vehicle again. Yeah, yeah. We all have one of those in our memory banks. Is there a project you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Yes, and it's in a business. I actually have three I'm working on that I really enjoy. I am appraising a very broad spectrum collection of memorabilia uh, put together by a former Indianapolis 500 winner that includes 15 different uh, well-defined non automobile interest areas. And it's fascinating. Wow. The second thing I'm doing is uh, I'm in the process of doing an appraisal of a very famous vintage funny car for its owner. Oh, wow. Uh, made famous and made more famous than it was in the day uh, by, a, by a relatively current movie. And the third thing I'm doing uh, with my wife, Sandra, is doing a study of the Old Testament currently in the book of Isaiah. Oh, wow. Awesome. You have certainly got your hands full. You're right. You are a busy guy. Now, here's an introspective question for you, John. I always love asking my guests this question because it reveals a bit about how they perceive themselves. If you were a car, what kind of car would John be and why? Oh, boy. <laughs> what would I be? Okay. A Charger Hellcat. A, oh, my goodness. Okay. And why a Charger Hellcat? Well, first of all, <laughs> it's commodious. It's not the, the lightest and most nimble car on the planet. But with 707 horsepower, you can make some interesting things happen. <laughs> it's totally modern. It's relatively fuel efficient. And it's being produced for by a company that I've kind of been my favorite over time for a long period. And I'm, I'm glad to see them back and healthy, irrespective of what the ownership is. Some neat things are happening there. And by the way, the guy that developed uh, the Charger, the head of the SRT program, uh -huh. uh, is a former uh, Detroit area drag racer. There you go. Awesome. So, John, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a word from our Cars Yeah sponsor. Carpe Viem. Seize the road. It's the motto at CarpeGear.com, where you'll find the Little Red Racing Car an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an international award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kid's book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves the little red racing car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. 
Check out Dwight's Carpe Diem brand where you can find his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize the road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Diem at carpegear.com and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E, gear.com. All right, John, we're back and we're entering the last lap. You've been to enough races to know that that means the white flag is out, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and give our listeners real quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Yep. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Do what you love. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? With respect to announcing, it was learning how to breathe well and to keep sharpening the axe. I joined Toastmasters, and one of the most interesting exercises they have is one called table topics, where somebody hands you a piece of paper with a word on it, and you are required to speak for two minutes without a break on that subject. Wow. Well, that's something I should practice. I think I could learn and benefit from that. That's very cool. I'll have to try that. Maybe we can do that via Skype someday. You can call me up and uh, give me a word and see how I do. Okay. (laughs) That'd be fun. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners you think that they would enjoy? Well, I would say look for uh, specialty Facebook pages and look for forums. And Mm. you can get on Google Chrome and Google whatever you like and follow it with a Boolean search comma forums, and there will be a forum on it. Yes, some of the posts and opinions are questionable. However, (laughs) the information available is just is simply remarkable. And again, I would suggest finally, if you're of an age when it's time for you to not do a nine to five day job anymore, find something, a, a museum to volunteer at to help them do a better job of talking about cars. Ah, great advice. I've had many guests here on Cars Yeah who are directors of museums, and they talk very highly of those people that volunteer their time to come in and help. And uh, I've done the same. I've had friends that have done the same, and it's a wonderful way to spend some time around vehicles and, more importantly, people. Would you Amen. Share- <laughs> yes. Would you share a book with our listeners that you think they would really enjoy reading? Absolutely. Yes, The Kings of the Road by Ken W. Purdy. Ah. Available only through, it's no longer in print. It's available through a Libris or, or the odd um, uh, collector bookstore. It was a, a book that I read in 1952 or 53 that helped cement me as a car guy. And even though it currently, it, it's not totally current, it talks about the life of Tazio Nuvolari, ah. and it gives probably the most succinct description of acceleration in its first installment of any I have yet to read. Wow. Great reference. That'd be wonderful to add to the Cars yeah list of books. Listeners, you can find all of these great resources John had shared with, has shared with us today at carsyacom slash John Lundberg. And John's last name is spelled L-U-N-D-B-E-R-G. Right. My strength comes from two resources, the amazing group of children that I've been blessed with, <laughs> and as well, Lady Sandra Lundberg, who is my wife. I wouldn't be anywhere able to do anything without her. Fantastic. You're a very blessed man, for sure. 
All right, we're up to the checkered flag here, John. And this last question can be a real doozy for a car guy like you or me. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but money's no object today because I'm going to write the check, what would that one vehicle be and why? A street drivable version of a of an A.J. Watson Indianapolis Roadster. Ooh, nice. Or what is it about that car that just tugs on your heart? They're just magic automobiles. With the technology available today, first of all, you can duplicate the design. Mm-hmm. Secondarily, with a dry sump LT3 Chevy and an eight-speed automatic transmission, it's possible for a person of elder years. <laughs> to properly drive one of those vehicles on the street. And I think it would just be the most incredible vehicle to drive. The other, the other, I guess, if I was going to go on the wild side, there are three. The other would be a Ferrari Testarossa. And the third would be uh, a, a Deuce Roadster with a small block Chevy. There you, <laughs> there you go. John, you have taken me on a great ride today. I knew you would. And I've so enjoyed your stories. I think we could talk for hours and hours I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners and with me. If you could give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that A.J. Watson Indy Roadster, what would it be? Make your life about the people and the things you love to do. Wonderful. Perfect advice. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your business? Go to my website. It's very simple. The word southwest-valuations.com. Perfect. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything that we've talked about here today at Cars Yeah. Just put John, and his name is J-O-N, in the search box, and his show notes page will pop right up. You can find links to his business, show notes page for our talk, and of course, you can re-listen to this talk anytime you want. John, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing your amazing life with our listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. It's been my distinct pleasure to be a part of your program. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!